Everyday life is like a play made up of what is seen and unseen. These motions are reenacted day in and day out. It is the spiritual life, the celestial life that will liberate us from this play. We see life, the drama unfolds in front of us. We, we cannot see beyond it. Only God can. And we look to God for illumination. These are the words sung in Nanati Batuku, rendered so beautifully by Shruti and Srini, her uncle. I have known Shruti since she was in fourth grade. Shruti, her mother, and I have learned so much about artistry and border crossing through our collaborations. And so it brings me such joy, my friends, to welcome this dear one, Shruti. Nanati Batuku says, there is something about this life that is seen and so much that is unseen. These patterns, this play in which we are embedded is reenacted day in and day out. It is only the spiritual life, the religious life, the life of asking what is the deeper dimension? What is the depth dimension of this experience, this existence? that allows us to move beyond our anxieties, our hooks, our narrow self-interests, and move in this life while with increasing freedom, compassion, and a greater ability for healing and wholeness. And isn't that what we're all longing for? Some freedom, some freedom from our predictable knee-jerk responses to this or that, some compassion for ourselves and for others, and some balm for the wounds of this wounded and wounding world. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This past summer, my partner and I decided to clean out an attic space. We've lived in the same house for over 30 years, so things tend to pile up. And we said to each other, let's go for the easiest attic space, the one on the south side of the house. So we started pulling out suitcases and some space heaters. And it went something like this. Well, we haven't used that suitcase in about 10 years. That's for the Goodwill pile. Easy enough. And we were doing so well, so well, until we dug further back into the attic and found boxes. The boxes, the boxes and boxes and boxes of photographs and hundreds of slides that I had inherited from my parents. Oh no! That's where I'd stuffed my parents' photos and memorabilia after my father's death four years ago, promising myself that I would go through it later. 
when I was stronger. I hate going through photos. Other people's photos are even worse. <laughs> it takes forever to decide which images you should keep and what to toss. It goes something like this. I have no idea who this is. <laughs> she looks so beautiful there, sitting at the picnic table in her skirt and white anklets. The grass is quite lovely. Mm, what a sweet photo. Trash. <laughs> Photos surprise you with their power to make you laugh out loud, to lead you through a maze of memories, or to reduce you to a puddle on the floor. So there I was, day in and day out, looking at photos, and start, the story begins to emerge from all these black and whites, a story of my mother that I'd heard about, but now the story was taking on a broader, richer meaning. I was beginning to truly see something. So my mother has lost her capacity to carry on a conversation for more than four or five minutes uh, because of her dementia. So I called her dear friend and mentor from high school, Exie White. I wanted to flesh out some of what I had guessed was a much deeper truth in my mother's story, and therefore my own story. So at some point in the conversation, Exie said, I played a subversive role in your mother's life, you see. She always says, you see, you see. Oh, I said, how so? Well, as you know, I was her biology teacher in high school, and I saw real promise in her inquisitive mind, in her writing and persistence. And you know, your grandfather was a rake of a man. <laughs> rake. Uh, hmm, what do you mean by rake, Exie? Well, I mean he was very full of himself, you see. Whenever he walked into the room, it was all about him. And your mother's brother, Bill, who she adored, was cut from the same cloth. I wanted something more for her, you see. I wanted something more for this inquisitive girl than to be one more farmer's wife out on the Nebraska prairie. So I encouraged her to apply for scholarships, to go to college, to make something different of herself, you see. Both of us ended up in Lincoln. I was working on my master's and she on her bachelor's and then her master's degree. And that's when it all began. That's when we began the tradition of going camping every summer all over the United States from her freshman year in college until she married your father. Now, I had heard about my mother's camping escapades, but this was the first time I began to put together that this was a nine to 10 year span of my mother's formative adult years 
from the age of 19 to the age of 28. My mother toured all over the United States in an old Ford jalopy with her dear friend, Exy White. And the photos of that time are just incredible. There's one of my mom leaning against an old uh, ancient wall in Mesa Verde. Or there's one of a little line of people crossing this big glacier. Uh, in Glacier National Park, and there's an arrow etched into the Polaroid that says, me. <laughs> I knew my mother had gone camping, but I had not understood till this summer the incredible sense of freedom and adventure she had nurtured within herself, or the courage she must have harnessed to buck the role of farm wife, to buck the framework of what a woman could and could not do in her father's eyes. She did this in order to attend college and to pursue, pursue her dream. Some of the most hurtful things my mother had ever said to me that cut me to the quick, even to this day, when I say them out loud, started to make sense. This big, expansive self that she had grown and nurtured got folded in half and then folded again and again in order to fit into a suburban household box with three kids and a husband she was at war with. This summer, I began to see a portrait of my mother rather than a profile. The deeper dimensions of her life, her dreams, rather than the outline I had sketched to make sense of my childhood and our family life. Profile comes from the Italian word profilo, meaning drawing an outline or viewing something from the side, as in profile. So it's not a full picture. It's not a rich and varied portrait, nor is it meant to be. Profiling is a quick sketch we make of someone or something, an outline we construct given what we can observe in our quick interaction, and then we fill in the rest of the picture with our own narratives, our own imagination, our own particular vantage point. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I, I think this is a true statement, that every one of us profiles. We profile. We want to engage in something or someone we want to have some kind of interaction, and so we make a quick sketch, a quick outline, in order to get a toehold in that first encounter. The problem arises when we mistake a profile for a portrait, when we try to fill in that outline from our own narrative, our own biases, or the social narratives or frameworks we have learned and incorporated. We mistake the profile for, for portraiture to bothersome effect or to incredibly devastating outcomes. So if you are young, you might look at me and say, old, white, 
lady, probably a grandma, she's got gray hair anyway, not very interesting. I would take issue with the last two of those movies. <laughs> if you're a white cop asked to aid a teacher and an assistant principal in an already tense classroom situation, you might look at a teenage girl sitting at her desk with a cell phone and think, black, sophomore, smart mouth, not compliant, less innocent, and seemingly older than her years, can handle and deserves harsher treatment physically and verbally, and a kid gets ripped out of her desk in South Carolina at high school. Profiling is reactionary. It shuts down thinking and feeling in order to be quick. It is the corner of what is true, but it's not the true thing. It is simply an outline, easily blurred by fear, anxiety, social constructs, and narrow self-interest. I profiled my mother. For all intents and purposes, I profiled my mother. It was a survival mechanism, granted, one that I don't need anymore. And as a person of faith, I don't want anymore. Portraiture, on the other hand, is creative interaction. It takes time. It demands curiosity, a sense of connection, a willingness to engage in wonder. Portraiture demands thinking and feeling, color, nuance, technique, lighting, in order to evoke the likeness, the light-filledness of another human being. Portraiture is the connection with the God source in me and the God source in another human being. This month, we are exploring border crossing, that is, moving beyond our personal, social, and cultural experience of the world and experiencing life from another vantage point and to be in creative interaction. So much of life is unseen. The only way beyond the play in which we are embedded is to take on the ministry of portraiture, to live in the depth dimension, the God dimension of life. These are the wisdom words of the 15th century Hindu saint Anamanagarya and the 20th century Christian saint Howard Thurman. Here are my wisdom words that I've begun to repeat in my mind over and over again in the comings and goings of this everyday life. There are a thousand stories behind whatever is in front of me. There are a thousand stories from, to what, behind whatever is in front of me, meaning don't mistake the profile for the portrait. The experience, culture, nuances, family, religion, experience of love that come to play in whatever is presenting itself to me. There are a thousand stories behind that snarky comment, 
There are a thousand stories behind that ninth grade sneer. There are thousands of stories behind that tearful hug. There are thousands upon thousands of stories behind the social construct of whiteness and racism. There are a thousand stories behind a Bible passage. There are a thousand stories between you and me. When I can stop for just a moment and say to myself, there are a thousand stories, there are a thousand stories, I'm able to step back, calm the pattern of wanting to fix, strike back, overemphasize, overfunction, underfunction, run away, whatever is the pattern of the play that I am embedded. There is space for the God flow, the depth dimension, illumination, whatever you want to call it. There is room for the seen and the unseen. Waiting in the quiet of this worship, we seek the courage, the push of God to see the world, the social frameworks, our fellow human beings in portraiture rather than profile. In coming to this greater understanding, then we may do the true thing. May we take on the discomfort, the liability of acting with understanding and integrity, knowing that the truer the deed, the more responsibility involves our whole and holy life. Here in the quietness of worshipful waiting, in the depth dimension of life, we seek the courage to see and do the true thing. May it be so, and amen.